Chapter 12. Crazy shit. Jack is on the phone, Petey, this is Jack. I'd like to do a little fishing tomorrow, up at Larry's. What do you think? Petey guesses what it is about but still he asks anyway. Are you going to bring bait again? Like last time. I am, I've got to use it up before it goes bad on me. Petey hesitates, then reluctantly agrees. Okay, I guess we'll go, then, I'll call Larry. I'll pick you up about 9 o'clock. No, Petey, let's make it about 5, so we can get the bait in the trunk without any problems. Okay Jack, 5 it is Petey's size. The next morning, Jack and Petey are dragging a piece of old carpet up the stairs to DS's apartment. What's this for? Petey asks. I grabbed it out of the garbage yesterday Jack answers. It's exactly what we need. You'll see. As they enter the bedroom, Petey gasps on seeing the corpse. Holy shit. Jack, you really did it. Come on, Petey. You had to know what I was talking about on the phone. Yeah, I did. But, actually seeing it is something else. I guess. It's too late now, isn't it? Jack hastily replies. Let's get this over with. They unroll the rug on the floor, alongside the bed, inside, it contains a large plastic bag and some cord. Between them, they work DS's corpse into the bag, before rolling it off the bed and onto the rug. They wrap it and tie it tightly. Quietly, they slide the rug, heavy with DS's body, down the stairs, one at a time. Exiting the building, with a lot of pushing and shoving, they cram it into Petey's trunk, it just about fits. Straight away, they are on their way to Larry's. On the journey, Petey says, I never thought you would do it, I know you talked about it, and I know you were plenty pissed, but I never thought you would actually do it. Neither did I. But you know what? Now that it's done, I'm glad. What pushed you over the edge, Jack? I was thinking about it for a long time, somebody had to do something. My mother always told me that if you want the right to complain, then you have to earn it, by being willing to do something to change things. I think this is going to change things a lot. Jack pauses, in thought. You know, I heard the story about the old lady, over on Beach Street the other day. I think that kind of did it, too. You mean something about a dog? I never got the whole story. These guys were going around the buildings, looking to find out about that note. When they came into her place, her dog nipped one of them, a little dog, about the size of a mouse, the prick took the dog and threw it out of the third floor window. When the old lady started screaming and crying, they took her over to the window and hung her halfway out threatening to throw her out too if she didn't stop yelling. When I heard that, it was the final straw, I knew what I had to do. And I did it. What was it like, Jack? Killing him I mean. You should know. Larry said you killed a shitload in Nam. But I mean up close and personal, like you did. I told you, I never really saw the guys I killed up close. You know what, Petey? Jack takes a deep breath and continues. It wasn't that bad after all. I guess I hated the son of bitch so much, for what he was doing, that it was like killing a mosquito, squashing it was a service, not a sin. You know that not only you or anybody else will ever be bitten by that bastard again. As they pull up to Larry's front porch with the rug-wrapped body in the trunk, they see Larry sitting with a beer and a cigar, with Rusty lying next to him as usual. Good to see you guys again. How was the ride-up? I would have liked it better if we didn't have our passenger ride and shotgun in the trunk answers Petey. Larry grins, look at it this way, you guys are like the sanitation department for your neighborhood, you're just picking up the garbage and taking it to the landfill, helping to keep the streets clean. Who could argue with that? He turns to Jack, how about you Jack? Things okay by you? Yeah, great. Jack replies snarkily. Larry taps on the trunk's deck lid. 
I know what you mean, I know what you mean. Okay, let's get to it, he commands. Drive on down to the garage, and we'll get started. As Diaz's naked body is laid out on the plywood sheet, Jack spies a ring on his finger, glittering in a beam of sunlight, which streams through the open garage door. Wait a minute. He reaches toward the ring, let me get that ring off his finger. At this, Larry pushes Jack aside and draws his pocket knife. What are you doing? queries Jack. You don't think you're gonna just pull that thing off, with his finger swelled up like that, do you? Let me show you how it's done, I got some practice with this kind of stuff. With that, Larry proceeds to cut off the finger, the ring still on it. Having done so, he tears a strip from DS's shirt, wraps the finger in it, and hands the little parcel to Jack. As blood immediately soaks through the cloth, Jack takes it, timidly. What the hell am I going to do with this? He blurts out. Let me tell you a story. Larry begins. Back in Nam, I still remember the day, August 5, 1968, we was out in the bush, like usual. There was about ten of us, marching through the jungle, surrounded by snakes and bugs, and, of course, a Kong, we was moving through the real thick stuff. All of a sudden, one of our guys went down, a sniper was firing on us. Then, a couple of other guys went down, the rest of us scurried for cover. One of our guys got shot right through the head. He fell on top of me. Everybody started screaming and shooting, then the guy behind me stood up to get a look for the sniper, and pop, he got one in the head and he fell right on top of me, too. So, I just lay there, all I could hear was shots and lots of screaming. Then, after a while, it all went quiet. Time passed. Eventually, I looked out from underneath the two guys on top of me, and I saw the Kong sniper, sliding down a tree, about 20 yards away from me, I knew it was him. I took a beat on him, and bang, got him. Like shooting a squirrel out of a tree. It was quiet some more, till I rolled out from underneath the guys. I guess they saved me, cause they'd taken a bunch of bullets in the back, while they was laying on me. I got up and went to see the other guys, only one of them was still alive, my buddy Nazi. I radioed for a chopper to come and get us. What was left of us anyway? Nazi was passed out, I couldn't do nothing for him, except wait with him. Then I seen the dead Kong, laying about five yards away from us. Something came over me, and all of a sudden, I just had to do it. I walked over and looked at him, laying there, I knew I couldn't just leave, without taking some revenge for what he did. So, I took out my knife and cut off his trigger finger, shoved it in my pocket and started to walk away. Then, I stopped and went back. I cut off one of his ears and stuffed that in my pocket too. Larry takes out his wallet, removing a thin black, wrinkled object, encased in clear plastic, as he continues his story. When I got back to base, I cut the finger's bone out, flattened it and dried it, then, I laminated it in plastic, so I could keep it, kinda like the Indians in South America do, with those shrunken heads I guess. Here it is. Larry lunges toward Jack with the encased finger, and Jack recoils. Why in Christ's name did you do that? Petey exclaims. Revenge, Petey? Revenge. I told ya. Every time I look at it, I feel like I'm getting a little even with that prick, for killing all my guys. It might seem kinda nutty, but it makes me feel better. Larry pauses for a while, and stares at the ground. When I got home from Nam, I started having what the shrinks called episodes. I call them bind scared shitless. The spells come out of nowhere. When I'm alone at night, I lay in bed, and the whole thing happens all over again. I'm back there in that jungle, I can see, hear, feel and smell every minute of that day, like it's happening all over again. Maybe it's because I can't never get rid of the fear and deep down hate. It's so strong that it's stuck inside me. Did you ever talk to anybody about it? asks Jack, like a doctor, I mean. 
I did some talking about it, with the shrinks down at the VA, a few years ago, but that didn't help much, I guess they just thought I was nuts, and that was it. They put a label on me, PTSD, they called me, I suppose once they put a label on you, they figured they did their job and case closed, you know what I mean? They gave me some pills, but I stopped taking them. They gave me headaches. Larry pauses again, still looking at the ground. I did a shitload of stuff over there, and when I came back to, you know what I mean, pot, acid and chipped a little horse and did lots of Jack D. I thought that might have something to do with all this crazy shit that was going on with me, so, a few years back, I went stone cold sober, I lasted more than six months, but it didn't do no good, those dreams still came back. After a few more moments of silence, Larry looks up from his trance-like state. What happened to the year? Jack asked him timidly, did you keep that, too? No, I gave it to the other guy with me, Nazi, and he kept it, just like me. We used to call him Nazi because he always said he had a knot in his stomach, right from the day he landed in Nam. Nazi and me were pretty good buds the whole time in Nam, especially after that day with the Kong. Shit, we were the only two guys left of our original bunch. After we got out of that shithole, and back to the States, we lost touch, maybe a Christmas card now and then, but that was about it. And, you never saw him again? Asks Petey. I did see him again, one day, about ten years after we was out, he calls me out of the blue, and we got together for a couple of drinks and bullshit. He said he was doing pretty good, making a lot of bucks, he never really said exactly what he was doing, just that it was working out alright. Just before we split, he pulled out his wallet and shows me the year, it was all laminated in plastic, like my finger. He told me it was his good luck charm, and without it he would never be doing as good as he was. When we was talking, I told him I wanted to buy this fish farm, but I didn't know if I could swing it. I never saw or talked to him again, but, about a month later, I got a check in the mail for 10 grand, with a note that says, good luck fishing. Some money for bait. It was from Nazi. That 10 grand is about 30 or 40 thou today. I cashed the check, and that's how Larry's fishing hole got started. The envelope had no return address and I never heard from him again. Man, that's some story Larry! exclaims Jack. You really never saw the guy again. Nope. Never even got to thank him. Jack holds up the blood-soaked rag, containing the finger and asks so, why are you giving me this? If I was you, I'd get it back to that fireman bunch, explains Larry, I'm pretty sure that would back him off big time. You know Larry, I think you're right. Jack shoves the package into his pocket. The next morning, Jack is at the lunchbox, with his coffee. As Charlie goes to the kitchen, Jack hurriedly places an object into the sugar bowl. Within minutes, the firemen arrive boisterously, and sit in their usual booth. Suddenly, screams erupt from them, and they pile up all over each other, jumping from the booth. Holy. Fucking shit. One of them cries out. What the fuck is that? Hearing the uproar, Charlie rushes from the kitchen. Holy shit. He shouts, staring at the table. The sugar bowl is overturned, the severed finger lying on the table, a Christmas tag tied to the distinctive ring it wears. The tag reads. Merry Christmas. We're not fucking around anymore, back off. The Grey Army. Jack smiles faintly to himself and slowly turns on his stool. He arises, and walks out of the place, feeling an inner glow of self-satisfaction. <laughs>